Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of State of the YouTube. Today, Monkey Jones is not here to interrupt my intro because he is living life high in hey, Amp, New York City. <laughs> I, I have too much respect for you to do it myself, Emperor Lemon. <sighs> is this just going to become a thing on the show where everyone everyone interrupts the intro? <laughs> what What good is a podcast without... A lengthy intro where in the future we'll probably put an ad reading to make even more money off of these suckers listening right now. But yeah, Mumkey is off today. He is in New York City with the one and only Asterios Kokonos doing whatever ridiculous debauchery they're up to, being drunk during the day and the night and the following day. And yeah, doing what are they doing? Shows. Live shows? Yeah, they're doing of their <laughs> of uh, Boomer versus Zoomer. Mumkey's other podcast, which he prioritizes over ours, I guess. Even though we get more I'm views. I'm interested to see. Ew. Yeah, well, now there's now there's a a conflict between our podcasts. Well, anyway, um, instead of Mumkey, we, we are here. Show? We are here with very special guest, one million plus subs on YouTube, <laughs> the internet historian. <sighs> Welcome, sir. <laughs> How's it going? We almost had you on once before, but mm. uh, complications meant that we had to cut you out, and that was on the, the Quentin Reviews uh, interview episode. Uh, and and it, it sucked. It sucked that we, we couldn't get you, your audio worked out because you had some really good insight, I guess, just kind of like mediating the, um, the, the interview in ways that I was not able to that night. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't, but, I, I didn't say much, but um, yeah, I, I can't remember. There was just a couple of questions, but um, yeah, it was it was interesting being a a fly on the wall for that conversation. I'm glad, I'm glad you edited out all the scandalous things there. There were there were some pretty heated debates between um, M. in there and and uh, and Quentin. You guys really fought it out, but I'm I'm glad you edited all that stuff out. Um, in the final version. <laughs> wait, 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 were there really? I, I don't remember. Uh, I, I kind of was, I was practically yeah, remember when editing. You, were, you know, and then, and then Quentin said the N-word. And, oh, and he's yeah, like, no, you got to right. take that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you know, maybe unethical uh, as a, a podcast editor, but mm. he requested that I, I take out those scandalous things that he said. And so I, I, I did that. Yeah, he said, "I'll never come on again. I'll I'll never be another guest if you don't if you don't take away all those F and N bombs." Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's going to be on the podcast uh, ever again, anyways. Mm. Oh, why is that? Well, unless he wants to, but I I don't think that uh, he yeah. likes any of us very much. Yeah, no, I, I I don't foresee him coming back anytime soon. Well, you know, after that that episode came out, I I started watching your videos and uh, like I subscribed to your channel, and the next video oh, that thanks. came out instantly made me a fan i think it was i think it was the planking one it's like the history of planking oh yeah 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 uh that that was it's that was one of those things where i i would never think to make like a long a documentary style i guess it wasn't that long but style video about planking and just all the deaths and statistics behind it but uh i learned a lot yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, no, it's funny that that video um, is is such a cut down version of what the original was going to be. So I had this I had this plan to do 
um, this like compilation video the same way there's another video called like any polls a goal and it's like these three different stories and they kind of mash together with a theme and so I was going to go through planking and then the cinnamon challenge which also had a, uh, a death and then I was going to oh. go through the the fire challenge and just go through all this stuff and it was going to be like a 15 minute video and then just so much time had passed between videos and it went and it just wasn't working it wasn't gelling together and so I was like, oh, fuck it and, and cut the whole thing down to five minutes um, i mean i think that's a that's not a bad idea just to have a series on its own where you cover each one if there's enough material to be covered yeah well that that ended up being um the main problem the the problem is with the fire challenge one there's a good chance you're just going to get a community strike um because oh yeah you know it's just kids setting themselves on fire but the um the cinnamon challenge one um there just wasn't enough material without seeming kind of like a, a PSA channel being like, sure. Hey, hey kids don't, don't do this because you know, it'll fuck up your, um, your lungs in this way and that way. And, uh, here's the, how did the person die? Campaign. Um, they were asthmatic. Um, oh, and okay. yeah, well yeah. that was fucking stupid. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's, it's one of those things like you never expect, um, it to be as bad as it is. Um, cause right. everyone, everyone thinks like, oh, like, it, 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 you know, even with a teaspoon, say you go, well, who, who couldn't do that? You just put it in your mouth and you wait for saliva to do the trick, but that mm-hmm. that's not actually how it works. Cause the thing is kind of hydrophobic and any small movements in your tongue are going to cause cause this powder is so fine is going to cause it to touch the uvula at the back of your throat. And as soon as yeah, it does that, instantly. yeah, that immediately triggers an involuntary cough reflex. And if you hold that in, then all of that just goes through your airways. And uh, if you, yeah, that, that's if you try to hold it in. So the more you try to hold it in, the worse it gets. And then once you start choking, it's impossible to, to stop because so you're sort of coughing. But then you need to take air in again. And then all this, all this powder is coated all over the inside of your mouth. And so every time you try to breathe in, it gets worse. And this can go on for like two to three minutes. So you think, uh, uh, you know, it, it's all sort yeah, of Yeah, if you over. can't breathe, yeah. then you're, you're fucked. Pe- got, pretty pe- much holding your breath for three minutes. Yeah, that's and it, when, when you, uh, and in the worst possible moment as well, when you really need air, yeah. So is this for an upcoming video? where you, you've split off the original plan of combining those three ideas. And it seems like you've researched the cinnamon challenge to an extent. So hopefully that's a, that's a preview for what's to come on the oh, Internet yes. Historian so, channel. Sorry, that was a bit of a, a long diatribe yeah, straight off the bat. <laughs> sorry. I'll, I'll be a bit more back and forth. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was all just stuff that was cut. Um, I don't oh. think I don't think I don't think I'll end up doing a video on the cinnamon challenge. There just isn't quite enough. Um, yeah, fair like there's enough. no bigger story there to be found. Not really. There was this silly girl who who started a um, a campaign after she collapsed one of her lungs doing the challenge um, and tries to raise money. But uh, other than that, yeah, that's fucking that pisses nowhere. me off. What she she was raising money for herself? No, or, for like. Or like for, for like against the, the awareness cause, the, her, her <laughs> the awareness her, of the uh, cinnamon challenge or the awareness yep. of collapsed lungs. Uh, the, 
well, well, both uh, raising awareness so that people don't do the cinnamon challenge because they'll collapse their lungs. Okay. I mean, what <laughs> what kind of campaign do you really need? Uh, awareness campaign? Do you ne- really need to raise to hmm. to let people know not to light themselves on fire or yep. uh, or do something that you can clearly see is uh, horribly painful and and makes it difficult to breathe. Well, you got to mm. get that online clout, those retweets, those Instagram likes. It's all worth it. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Well, God, it sucks. sucks, too, that you can't upload in any of the um, letting yourself on fire challenge ones. I mean, now that, you know, with <laughs> YouTube's cracking down on, uh, you know, people self-emulating. <laughs> yeah, rip yeah. the knife game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a, lot, of the, a lot of the context doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, well, anyways, a lot of people have been saying what, that. What was that, by the way? That was negative 80 million views or something? Yeah, yeah. And I, I tried to private the videos initially because I thought that maybe that was a workaround. Mm. And uh, no, it was still negative 80 million views, at least as far as Social Blade was <laughs> and you, concerned. you found that out, like, right on the podcast as we were recording Rusty's yeah, I, live I reaction to seeing negative 80 million views in his Social Blade. <laughs> have, you, have you considered doing something like this where you, I mean, if you've got the videos privated, why not make them all public again for a day? Yeah. And then private them again for a day. And then just keep doing that on alternative days for like a week and see what it does to the algorithm. Um, What I would imagine, so I I did think about that because what I was thinking would be really, it'd look really good if I gained 80 million views Mm. in one day. Uh, And, but yeah, I'm, I'm worried that if I'm doing something like that, that might, trigger youtube somehow and they might uh kind of be flagged uh, tipped off to it and then look into it right and at that point they can just once the videos are up they can just start striking them all but right yeah what would that do to the algorithm would that if i'm just gaining all these views well and then they instantly go away again it's interesting food for thought that's for sure well (laughs) rusty it's a subtle segue (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at, at least, at least, Rusty, you haven't had the worst view decline this month because Machinima, at one point, the number four biggest channel on YouTube, deleted all of their videos. They had over 10,000 videos, I believe, where, um, for those of you not familiar with the Machinima model, it's this thing on YouTube called an MCN, a multi-channel network, and they were one of the first ones that really allowed monetization for like small youtubers and yeah i was signed on to them for two years a lot of the uh, the gimmick was that these youtubers could upload their content to the main machinima channel which theoretically had a much bigger audience and would get them more exposure hmm. but recently uh, machinima merged with what used to be full screen now they got bought out by a bigger company i don't remember the name currently but they got bought out and Earlier this month, they just literally deleted all of their videos at one time. And on Social Blade, they got a minus 1.5 billion views for one oh day. Oh, God. <laughs> Why did they do this? I don't know. I'm oh, guessing... Wait, wait, sorry. Did you just say because it's because they got bought out? Yeah, they got bought out by a bigger MCN because MCNs are kind of failing. They're kind of part of a bygone era. And yeah. a lot of them just don't they're just not as good as regular YouTube partnerships. So, and 
they have a lot of bad PR from YouTubers who've shared like horror stories with just getting screwed over by their MCN. So they're just struggling to sign new people. And oh yeah, it's like a, a lot of them are just going out of business, scheme. and it's all converging into like like these one super conglomerate. So what's what's left of value if not the brand? For Machinima? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I've it, I don't think there's ever been anything like this happen in the history of YouTube, where a big giant channel just mm. deletes all of their videos, which are still earning revenue and getting views. And I'm sure when you have that many videos on your channel, a bunch of them are probably still getting some views in the algorithm then, and they just up and deleted all of them. So it, it's kind of confusing, which me, it leads me to believe it might be a contractual thing with yeah. the, the agreements or whatever of the buyout where they could no longer. Well, they kind of did the something videos. like that with, uh, with Vivo channels. Because YouTube was starting their YouTube Music, uh, whatever uh, platform. I, it's on the same platform, but I guess they're just trying to overtake Apple Music and things like Vivo. So mm. what they were doing is collecting all of your music channels on all these different, um, like all of your videos on all these different channels. So say if I had a Vivo, not only would I have my music that I upload on my channel, but also whatever songs I sold or license out to Vivo, and then YouTube would take all those and put them together in one channel. So that seemed to make more sense, but I, they must have had a deal with Vivo as opposed to uh, Machinima. Whatever they're doing is, is outside of YouTube, so they don't have the same option to just move all their videos and views over to this new channel. That's yes. true. Well, is, is that the plan? Is it, uh, I mean, I can sort of see it going two different ways. It's like, they're, yeah, maybe they're under contractual obligation to delete all these videos. Uh, or um, maybe they're taking them down so that they can be re-uploaded somewhere else and it's more of a sort of best of case. Oh. And then... Yeah, but God, these videos have to be so fucking old at this point. I mean, yeah. Machinima is, is since the beginning of YouTube, so it's like some of these videos are 10 years old mm. gameplay videos. I mean, probably like 99% of these are getting less than five views a week. Because they mm. just have so many in that back catalog. And a lot of them are from just kind of no-name people that have long since left YouTube. So there's not really any reason for anyone to be searching for them at all. Well, you, you repackage them up and you sell them as Machinima Classic. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> new, yeah, who would buy new that? New streaming <laughs> platform, nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> when, when are we going to start doing that? Uh, go to a subscription service. Well, it's already um, moving in that direction, isn't it, with memberships? Yeah, yeah, but I, uh, I wonder if it'll ever reach that point where you have to do it to to survive on YouTube, or if there'll still there'll be like a rift between the subscription channels and um, the free channels, or will the free channels all just be complete garbage at that point? I don't know. I think you have a hard time in this day and age competing with anything that gives away something for free. It's just that this generation of mostly people my age and younger, we have become used to just getting every media thing for free. And if it's not free, it's going to have just a significant um, barrier of entry for just new customers. Yeah, now, uh, you that. say your age. Internet historian, you're a, you're a very old man. That's right. Yeah. I'm guessing just by the way you talk. Okay. So you've been around since the beginning of time. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Since the uh, primordial stew and all that stuff. Okay, well, here's 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 one thing I wanted to ask, old Harold, uh-huh. old internet historian. Uh-huh. So, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but your YouTube channel is actually very new. I believe you started in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah, January first. Oh cool. wow! So, well, one thing a lot of people will praise your channel for is that you cut out pretty much all the fat. You don't really have any nothing uploads that kind of just waste people's time. All of your uploads are just like rich in content and really tightly written and heavily edited. Oh, and yeah, they're very well edited. It's sort of like the, oh, uh, the Vsauce style of content creation where you don't upload very often, but when you do, it's sort of like a must-see thing. Um, I guess what I, where I was going with this is, is this your first YouTube channel? Because it seems like just from your very first videos, they're all like quite good. And it makes me believe that possibly you had some experience before on YouTube. Oh, uh, no, no, nope. It was, um, yeah, first, first YouTube channel and sort of made on a whim. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, what made you want to start in the first place? I remember it was, um, I was looking up Battletoads originally and, and thought, oh, um, I remember that. That was quite funny. And I was looking up clips and stuff and I was just so surprised to see that no one had taken all those clips and put them together into like a coherent narrative. And, um, once I sort of realized that I just, Oh, maybe I should do it. And then I tried to make a video and then that was quite difficult in the beginning because I'd never used like a video, a video editing software before. Um, I'd used Photoshop wow. before cause, um, uh, sort of, I'd done some graphic design things, but, um, yeah, I just had to sort of Google everything and, and hope for the best. Um, and man, that's, that's impressive because it, your videos are heavily edited with graphics and that are, that are motion graphics and whatnot. Um, that me being somewhat, I guess, experienced uh, editing, I'm looking at it and I see a lot of work, but I, I don't know. Is it, are these easy to do or they take fucking forever to, you know, have um, the hands on a steering wheel, and I'm trying to remember what I saw in the the planking video mainly. No, no, it was in the the, the yeah, other yeah, the, video. Yeah, in the about... planking one, there is yeah hands on a steering wheel. Yeah, there's a guy oh, okay. planking on top of a car, and he's yeah his destination is a coma. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that just takes a long time. Um, I suppose it's it's not like it's not terribly complicated. It's all just like rotation and motion. Uh, sure. set to set to sort of keyframes um yeah shitload then, of layers shitload of keyframes yeah but, i mean that is difficult though i mean it's like sure the individual steps are easy but you can say that about anything um it's just piecing it all together and, and having the mind to make it this complex rather than just getting lazy and uh, only showing a, a stagnant image while you speak over it uh, that really adds quality to your videos Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of a, a double edged sword because I suppose I I sort of look at these things and you know by the time I finish vi- uh, editing a a video, I must have looked at it four hundred times from yeah. from start yeah. to finish. So um, it's it's really hard to sort of judge your own stuff. So it does help to have like her story in there, and I'll turn to her and I go, "Is this funny? Is this funny?" And she go, 
no and i go oh okay well i'll cut that bit out and then but i just do that tons and tons over the over the process but the problem is um you also look at things way too much and you forget what other people don't know so i think there are a couple yeah definitely yeah and 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 i think there are a couple of much weaker videos on the channel as well because of it like um the the asif and mordesia video the uh the season six um uh he will not divide us video the leroy jenkins video it's like those are all a product of like looking at a thing for too long and doing it again and again and again and again and like it just sort of not yeah because you're filling in the blanks in your head uh and you know how the story's going and then right you forget do how much do i need to break this video down or this narrative down to clarify it to the audience yeah or are they gonna be able to piece in the uh the missing pieces that i didn't necessarily explain like you got to figure out how dumb you expect your audience to be and i mean dumb like uh, ignorant to what you're talking about yeah well and it and, and it all sticks in your working memory as well and then and that's impossible to get get rid of like you know i used to work as a copywriter and so you're doing a lot of proofreading and you you just can't keep proofing reading the same thing over and over again without taking a break in between because all of the mistakes sort of get 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 sort of locked into your working memory and you actually read things that aren't there yeah so right you, right exactly yeah. yeah well that's that's actually one of the things i think is a very big positive about your videos where it requires a pretty high degree of context to fully understand everything that's going on especially with a lot, a lot of your older stuff with 4chan uh you kind of have to be aware of the culture of 4chan a little bit mm-hmm. to kind of get a lot of the stuff but i think that's a big positive with your stuff because um I just really don't like when I'm watching a YouTube video that's supposed to be informative. And just to give you an example, I was watching one on Pokemon the other day, and the guy just spends the first two minutes explaining what Pokemon is. Like, everyone (laughs) on the internet knows what Pokemon is, but it's it's like a spectrum you have to kind of judge on what information is correct to leave out and what can you just assume your audience knows. But also, I feel like... And I I have to think about this a lot when I'm researching my own videos and writing them. Um, we're on the internet, like, mm. and I make videos for YouTube, and YouTube is on the internet. And mm. There's a big old search bar on YouTube, and probably one for Google, depending on what browser you're using. And uh, people can just look up, they can pause the video and just look up whatever they yeah. want that they're yeah, confused it's, about. It's right. Right. Yeah, it's right there. I mean, you don't want people clicking off of your video, but yeah, if you're if you're actually interested in the thing, just figure it out real quick. Uh, but obviously, nobody in the comment section ever does because they have to ask every every question possible to clarify something that was either already stated or very easy to find the answer to themselves. I've never really um, lost out by um, not assuming. Um, that people can figure out the context for themselves. I think it's almost the opposite of television, where, the, where television, or, you know, there's this stupid adage that's like, well, you, you, never, you never go wrong by exactly. betting on the, um, yeah, the idiocy of the American people or whatever, it, however it goes. But I think it's almost the opposite for the internet. It's like, you, you give, give, you're supposed to sort of give people the benefit of the doubt that they understand um, a lot of these things. 
and um right and that's why they clicked on the video in the first place exactly yeah that's yeah that's, that's a right. big that's a big thing everything on youtube is completely on demand on tv stuff is just you're watching a channel and it comes on and you have to explain how many football fields mm. this big thing is but on youtube you can pretty much take it for granted like oh yeah a blimp it's pretty big i don't know just an example but mm. whatever you, you don't have to explain what Pokemon it, is to me. Yeah, and then the audience also doesn't feel pandered to. And they're, they're, exactly, sort of more, that's they're more on your side. Yeah, Yeah. well, even in your um, the video that you made about the lady that was fired from Applebee's. Yeah, yeah, was it? And, and, uh, yeah so there's a the whole campaign to, to get her rehired. Uh, I had never heard of that before. So I was watching your video. I was fucking confused. But it didn't take long before... I could piece it together and figure out what was happening. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's just like, um, like a soap opera on TV, right? It's like, you can come into the bold and the beautiful at any episode and still piece together what's going on. You don't need to start at season one, episode one of the bold and the beautiful to figure out what's going on at on season. The bold and the beautiful yeah. in season one, this so happened. Pe people are smart enough to figure this stuff out. So, um, yeah, I think it's it, in general, it's pretty good to give people that benefit of the doubt. But I tell you right. what, though, Em, it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of doing these videos that are five to ten minutes long. But I see edits that are just as complex on, on your videos, Em, and they're like 40 minutes long. And I, I actually don't quite oh, understand yeah. how you're doing it. Because that would take me a year. No, Emperor, Emperor Lemon, he's, he's got a weird... Because uh, I've seen him work, because he'll, he'll be editing a video... Um, at any time. I mean, there's just a bunch of people hanging out. It's like a party going on. Hmm. And uh, he's just editing a video and, and he'll make like a five-minute clip in like an hour. And uh, I have no idea how, he, how you have that type of focus. I have to um, be in a room isolated completely. Well, I am half Asian. <laughs> and also, no, I might do it. Also, I edit on a laptop. And a lot of people, a lot of people when, you, when I say that, they're, they're like, really? Like, what? Mm. Because most people are used to editing on like this big monitor, dual monitor setup, uh, mm. big editing window. But like just for my entire YouTube existence, I've always edited on a laptop. And it's really helpful because I can just bring it around, um, put it in my headphones, plug it in, and just start working basically at any time I want. And it's really helpful. And a lot of people, uh, I had this conversation with Rusty when we first started talking about this and he's like, how can you edit on a window that small? But mm. I'd say it actually helps me out a lot because because you have smaller eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, uh, Jesus Christ. most people these days are, most people these days watch videos on their phone. It's a screen like this big, like the, the size that's of the good, palm of your hand. That's a good so point. When, when you're scaling fonts and text and stuff, you have to be aware of that. And it's not like a small minority either. It's like, I think over 50% of the views I get on YouTube, at least, and I'm sure most of you do too. Like if you go in the it's analytics like 70, or on mobile 70%, device. 70% will be on handheld devices, yeah. Wow. And uh, I know I, I've always edited on a laptop, so I've always just been used to having my, my edits be uh, legible within a small window and... I don't know, I think it's kind of helped me out um, for, like, sort of the mobile appeal. I don't mm. know. We're, we're getting into real editor central Te over Real here. technical stuff, yeah. Mm. 
Well, uh, Emperor Lemon, you asked Twitter if they had questions for Internet Historian, or are we going to oh, yeah. save those till the end? Uh, we could start getting into some of those. There's just a lot of interesting ones here. Um, I think a big one that's actually very topical right now is, so Internet Historian, over a year ago, or may have been less than a year ago, you made a video about the, the doomed fire festival. Oh, yeah. And recently, there's been a pretty high-profile documentary that came out about, came out about fire festival Two of i them. think it's on netflix and it's Hulu. been very very widely discussed and a, a lot of people like a lot of uh mainstream people have really uh gotten into that yeah people have been recommending it i i'm not familiar with this festival at all or whatever the controversy around so, it is so internet historian just based on the fact that your video preceded that i was just wondering how you feel about this whole situation yeah i don't know um fuck i wish i'd done the prep work and actually have, have seen these two documentaries although i do intend to like i'm finding it difficult to get access to hulu because i'm here in australia um but i do have netflix i just haven't watched it yet um i'm really excited to see them to be honest i want i want to um compare notes um what i've heard so far though uh, which i'm very pleased about is that not too much of the the things that they touched on contradicts the things that I reported like a year earlier. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's nice to know that I wasn't wrong about a whole lot of things. Um, well, well, what is this festival? What's the, um, the controversy around it? Oh, so, so fire festival is a, um, uh, a festival that somewhat happened. Um, and it was organized by this guy, Billy McFarland, um, set in, um, the Bahamas, and it was going to be the, the party to end all parties. And uh, it ended up being a, a massive disaster on, on a, a very large scale. Okay, um, shit. Yeah, and, and the, the, the original organizer, uh, Billy McFarlane, ended up serving. Well, he's in jail now. He's, he's in for somewhere between six and ten years for all sorts of things, uh, wire fraud mostly. Um, but then there's also civil lawsuits going on. So they'll start soon, I believe, because... Um, once you lose, you know, a, a criminal case, um, that's you then used as evidence um, cited in, in the civil cases. So, yikes, it's not going to be good for him because a lot of these yeah, lawsuits down, are like $100 million. Downward yeah. spiral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when you, say, when you say it was a disaster, I mean, like, what, was there just a ton of crime and whatnot going on well, it was, at it, this festival? So it was, it was supposed to go for two weeks. It was canceled at the end of the first day. Um you you know there's supposed to be five thousand people there in the end only about 500 made it uh, all oh, the bands right. were cancelled the catering wasn't done the accommodations weren't what were promised um yeah he should have got jim jones's uh, uh marketing guy <laughs> wait who's jim jones <laughs> oh, oh he's a sorry he's an american cult leader that that convinced like a couple thousand people to move down to uh, one of these islands. Jonestown in Guyana. Oh, yeah, Jones, right, South right. America. Yeah, and then uh, then they all drank Kool Aid and and uh, killed themselves. Yeah. Oh, yikes! It was yeah, actually but... the second largest loss of American life before nine eleven. Oh, wow! Shit. I didn't know that. Well, that's a little American history for for you. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Um. Uh, well, anyway, the, this this uh, Netflix document—I I don't know—I think they look really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty 
pretty positive about it. It would have been nice to get a little shout out and mention, but to be honest, I think they'd open themselves for all sorts of liability that they, they wouldn't want to. So I understand why they wouldn't do that as well. Um, and, you know, brings brings traffic into the channel. And um, uh, Oh, yeah. Are you seeing traffic coming in from that? Like a new, lot of new comments or is that just perceived traffic? Um, oh, well, I mean, I suppose it's not that much more traffic, but, um, you know, a little little boost here and there. And it's um, it's been nice. There's like people tweeting nice things and... Yeah, you know, it's uh, that's all it takes. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I'm not. I've you forgotten the question entirely, a, but um, I mean, overall, I'm pretty an, positive an, about it. That's good. Um, it, you, you mentioned earlier that you were a copywriter. Yeah, is that a, is that a hellish job? That it always seemed like an interesting job to me because back in the day, I used to watch like Mad Men or something, and I really thought it'd be cool to be in in advertising, but. But then copywriting, I wasn't sure if that's something that'd be fun or not. Most of the time, it's not fun. Um, it's it's yeah, it's pretty hard because because my attention span isn't that good, and so you're supposed to be there like writing, you know, eight hours a day in an office, and you, you can't write for eight hours a day, you know. Um, and then uh, uh, it's it's a fun a funny like um, you know response to my videos and stuff on YouTube has been like overwhelming, like positive. And I'm, I'm like, I'm super grateful for that, but especially cause I come from this industry where it's like, no matter what, what you write, nobody's happy with it on the first draft. Right. Like, yeah. it, like, you know, it's a sort of 50% rewrite minimum on everything. And usually often the reaction from the client is like angry at first because they had this thing in their head of what it was going to be and it ends up being completely different and they have a little panic about it and they and they go oh holy shit this is going to be on my website oh my god this is going to be in the marketing campaign and it's wrong 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 and yeah anyway um so you get a sort of a lot of negative feedback and so you sort of you sort of worked within the media industry because that's what a copywriter does they work with uh advertisers and marketing people to make yeah, sure that their their scripts are in order yeah well it, uh mostly not script stuff it's usually um digital content i was working on so you know stuff for websites stuff for uh sometimes like email campaigns um newsletters that sort of stuff but yeah in in marketing and um uh advertising that's what i did my um uh masters in so just sort of went so how does it feel field. now having gone to school for that and then you find yourself in the end um on youtube like something that i mean did, did it help you at all or is it just like completely separate yeah i don't know it's um i suppose it has been helpful in some ways uh it feels like a massive waste of time in other ways but you know th these things compensate because it's like if you're a, if you're a little bit older you can also feel a little bit more motivated to get things done um and you've also got uh a, a little bit of um advantage as well in in the way that you might make fewer mistakes maybe um so wait what do you mean uh, well i just mean like what? like uh if if i had sort of started doing this stuff when instead of going to university um and mm -hmm. and going into like a normal career and then going to youtube you're switching into YouTube rather than growing up on YouTube where um, you, maybe you're not starting 
starting making videos with the idea that these have to be good and these have to be uh, polished and, and yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. and evoke emotion and whatnot. Yeah, I think if I had started doing it when I was like 18 or something, it would have been Let's Plays. For sure, I would have just That's gone with like cheap, cheap, yeah. easy content and get it's it out. It's funny because I'm kind of the opposite. Where I've been, I was doing YouTube for years, and now I'm in school for sort of TV production, video production. Where it's completely different. You're, you have to like unlearn all of the stuff you know from YouTube that works on YouTube. Yeah, and it's just completely different priorities in what's acceptable and what's not. Is that? Is that a bit strange? Like, do you ever find yourself, um, you know, you must not not correcting the the lecturer, but it it must feel very strange to have someone's maybe who's even less experienced than you, imp, sort of telling you how to how to do things. Um, no, I actually, I, there are like very valuable people at my school. Uh, one of my professors this year, I have him for two classes this year. He's actually teaching me in an after effects class um he worked on a documentary that got like nominated for an emmy so these are like legit people who know what they're doing they're not just like they they didn't just like get a degree and start teaching a lot of these professors are i forget the word for the type of professor that's also uh in the in the actual field but we have a lot of those types of professors where i go to school Mm. And they're very knowledgeable, so I I can't just disregard what they're saying, and I actually have to listen to a lot of them. But what what I found is that YouTube is just a completely different frontier entirely from anything on TV, mm. and it, it's just everything is different from the mm. ground up. And I think in learning sort of how the other side works. I've developed sort of a better appreciation and it's kind of easier for me to reconcile both television and YouTube now. Mm. If you had the choice, which one would you go into? Oh, definitely YouTube. Yeah. I get to be my own boss on YouTube and that to me is just more valuable than anything else. Just having creative control, it's almost oh, yeah, the yeah. biggest mm. benefit of If, just if you go being into TV then you're you're running a teleprompter or like uh you know operating a boom mic yeah TV, or just anything to, like that tv you have to work your way up the ranks and do grunt work for many many years before even getting a halfway respectable position but mm-hmm. on youtube kind of a, i'm biased cuz i'm kind of already in a very good spot on youtube mm. but i don't know might be different if i was just starting out and i didn't have all of this but i don't know yeah, yeah, I couldn't right. imagine so you, you uh, even trying to work in like... Uh, sorry, go ahead. You wouldn't go into television either, Rusty? Oh, no, no. It, it seems like it's uh, just a huge downgrade. I mean, right, being your own boss, you can do whatever you want. And you can make money. You can make more money than you would if you were working in uh, in L.A. And, um, you know, on, on the production set for, for like a movie or a TV show. Mm. And that might seem really grandiose you're going wow you know i made it i'm i'm on the production side of i don't know inside hollywood studios or something like that i don't know Mm. um but on youtube you just do it all yourself and you get you get all the glory and cash or whatever Mm. you don't have to relinquish creative control and 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, much more fulfilling. Mm. Yeah, it's also kind of nice that, like, I think one thing that would, would absolutely kill your soul is, you know, if you make a bad video at, on, on YouTube, it's like, you know, you, you take your hits and, and that's it. And you, and you sort of own up to it and you go, okay, well, this is my fault. But if right. you made a bad television show and it was a team effort, and you knew that, like, right. the and lighting some, was some bad. Investor, and it was... the network sunk millions of dollars into that project. Yeah, and it's like, and, and also, like, some, like, the lighting was fucked up, and you weren't in charge of the lighting, or maybe some asshole came in at the very end and fucked it all up in the edit, and, and, and you knew that it was a great product before the editor came along, and then you're just getting panned by critics, that would, oh, that would just eat away at you, you know? That's it's got to be the worst feeling, right? You're a director and you go in to watch your movie and you go, it was the fucking editor. <laughs> and it, cause, cause editing, you can really just completely change uh, the mood of a movie. I mean, you have the director to try to make everything work out right, but it comes down to that editor's decision. Uh, mm. And so it's like how much power they have is, is the scary thing. I don't know if I could ever get someone to edit my videos on YouTube. I'm not sure if that's something I'd be willing to ever give up because mm. cause you take all your content and before you edit it, it's just boring garbage or it can be. And then, you know, the editing process, you trim things out and you uh, add emphasis here and there. Mm. Um, so I, I always find that with a lot of YouTubers, they, they're very skeptical about giving up editing and passing it over to someone else, depending yeah. on the type of channel. Yeah. They have. That's actually a pretty big thing um, I think a, a lot of YouTubers are split on. Now, Internet Historian, I think you mentioned earlier, not in the show, but before to us, that you currently work with an editor on your videos. So I, I just wanted to ask how much of your videos are kind of done by you and how much you're done by the editor. Or what What's sort of the relationship there? Yeah, it's funny. As you asked that, you just walked in. Um, I'm not sure I should mention this now. Oh, well, isn't it? Uh, do we want to mention it? Yeah, oh, his name, his name is Ryan. Uh, he's a really nice guy. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've, it's, it's been sort of more recent. Um, don't really do a whole lot of um, main channel stuff with. Um, it's so weird talking about because he's like four feet away from me now. <laughs> I can talk about him like he's not here. So. Um, the main channel stuff is really difficult to do with with a second editor, I think, because it's like um, right. there's too much like passing assets back and forth in between. And you know, if you've seen the videos, it's like you, you might have twenty layers on something, and then you might that might mean five hundred different assets, and then you know you you might be working with twenty at any given moment, and it's like trying to trying to sort out the version control on that alone is a massive task. So it's basically impossible. So there's there's some divisions of labor that that work quite well um uh like the so i just finished the my immortal part three and um oh, right. so, so so ryan helped me on the, the music for that and it's like he's so he's working on like a separate computer and he's got the rendered visual with the dialogue and he's just like adding sound effects and stuff okay um, and then he'll render out that just the music and the sound effects and then that'll come back to me and then you know he can work on that for a couple of days so that'll save me essentially a couple of days worth of work so that's good but otherwise he's 
he's doing like the in the fields um uh most of the editing on that and so uh he'll do sort of um so 60% to 75% to 80% on a on an in the field and then um I'll come in at the last 20% and and do the polish but um I'm sort of always there going okay well this is how this should present okay this is what this should look like right um, yeah you got to be looking yeah. over it a little bit yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't so, work if if someone was was remote because it's like these are these are sort of in the moment decisions that are happening maybe every 10 20 minutes so, yeah. Well, that's good. I, I would imagine it'd be it'd definitely be beneficial to have someone do the music because I always add music and sound effects at the end, and mm. it's not really something that I don't think anyone else couldn't do. Like, a, you know, say, hey, maybe cut the audio out uh, if at certain times to emphasize what I'm saying, or right, throw these mm. sound effects in. Um, and it always seems like a step that I, I never really want to take. Mm. It's, like, ah, it's it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, edit, well, editing for me has always, I always think it's like a digital fingerprint where, especially on YouTube, where there's no actual restrictions on content. Like on television, everything is edited kind of more or less the same depending on whatever genre it is. Like every reality TV show in America that airs on American television is edited exactly the same with the same pacing and the same musical cues and like sort of the same just right, shot selection. But on YouTube, you're just given the keys to do whatever you want, and there are no editing rules. All those sort of gatekeeping rules have been lifted. So it's always something I look out for in YouTube videos where a lot, when a lot of YouTube viewers consider editing, they kind of understand it on a superficial level where in order to impress a lot of people on youtube all you have to do is throw in some wishy cool after effects transitions and people will be like hey mm. that's good editing but I, I i just started off making youtube poops for like five years which is kind of nothing but editing where the, the the only contribution you make to the content is through your editing mm. and i look when i'm watching a youtuber i look at editing more for content and stylization and I think a lot of problems that some YouTubers fall into is they get an editor and it's not like you enter a historian where they're in the same room and you can just immediately give notes and commands. They mm. just kind of outsource this work to just some guy. Oh, yeah. No, that's the worst. Like in a completely different continent. And what ends up happening, with, and I can sort of tell when these people do it, is it, it just kind of looks generic. Yeah. Because when you don't have, when you just don't have the same person writing and recording and editing it, it's hard to stay on the same page and add your own little sense of personal flair. Um, if I could give an example, uh, the right opinion does this where he has like five or six editors on one video at times, mm. and yeah, he outsources his videos to like six editors. I don't know the exact process with it, but I always see it when he posts a new video, he credits the editors and usually there's like at least three of them. Mm. And I don't know. Uh, it bothers me. A lot of people are fine with it and they don't even notice it. And as long as you have like smooth looking motion graphics and keyframing, then they don't really care. Mm. But for me, it's just like when you relinquish control of editing that's like half of the stuff that's 
half of the information that's telegraphed to the audience and you're taking mm. it out of your hands and I could just never do that. I always do just all of my own stuff 100%, mm. maybe 99.9%, but still it's just my mentality and approach to editing is very different from a lot of people, but I certainly feel like yeah. people who edit their own videos on YouTube, it's certain they, they certainly are more memorable. Yeah, it, it kind it, of sticks with you where the eccentricities and the kind of unique stuff that you would add to your own version of it, it's mm. not replicable by anyone else. And it makes you stand out, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, things end up having their own sort of signature. Um, but also, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd also say it, it has been like super useful in in some of the decision-making process though like in ways you wouldn't think of so um you know a lot of the time when you're editing it's like you you sort of have to make these decisions about things and and then sometimes it's also like i know something isn't working and i don't know why and then you can just get immediate feedback and that's that's fantastic mm -hmm. um and that's yeah sometimes a bit harder to do on your own because then you have to sort of puzzle you, know, you have to sort yeah, of you, problem solve to figure out what's wrong you don't know if anything's funny because you're doing it yourself. So it's like, you know, all your jokes are in your head. You're not laughing at yourself. Or mm. maybe you are. I don't know. But, I mean, right, right. Yeah, because it, it makes sense to you, but it's not going to make sense to to the audience necessarily yeah. until you present it to someone. Do you I have any fears with YouTube going forward? Oh, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this Article 13. I'm glad, I'm glad you pivoted, by the way. I feel like we're getting a little bit too inside baseball, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, they could just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I do worry about a lot of the censorship stuff, um, uh, uh, especially you know a lot of the the mob led censorship, um, and I do worry about some of the Article Thirteen things. But um, uh, I I don't know. What what do you guys fears? Well, I I guess like. I mean, luckily, maybe I'm just ignorant, but Article 13 isn't as isn't going to affect us in the states as much, or no. it could be a very ignorant thing that I'm saying. But I mean, with with like a lot of the terms of service changes to YouTube, and right, we were talking about like a mob pressure to have things changed and guidelines uh, moved and the goalposts moved. It, it's like YouTube's just folding to all of these things uh and they can't revert back they can't reverse their decisions so they're just slowly uh dwindling down the appeal of their site and why someone might go there in the first place and they're in they're molding it into something that might be unusable very soon yeah sort of uh, uh, inching inching forward to, to be more and more like television i don't know i, I was hope i was hoping we would get onto a topic like this because you know, one thing I have noticed with the the podcast is, um, uh, you know, it tends to be like three or four um, of us sort of uh, bashing YouTube, but yeah, um, it's not like it's they fun. get a sh they get a shot at the fence, you know. And so I sort of thought, oh, it would be nice. Well, to... they never talk about anything. <laughs> they never mention. <laughs> well, anything. what are they going to do? Come on the podcast. Okay, we'd be happy. Anyone listening <laughs> to this who possibly works at YouTube, we'd be happy to have you on the show and just explain anything about youtube we'd be well, eternally grateful well look I'll, just, I'll, I'll, let, let me let me stand something. on the 
I'm gonna I'm gonna alienate myself from the audience and let me stand in their place because I think I can make some fairly good arguments against some of this stuff. All right. All right. Well, so right. one thing so that I've, I've wondered. Okay. All right. <laughs> do you have anything particular right now? No, no. Sorry, sorry. Continue on oh. with what you were saying. Um. So they they made YouTube Kids, and mm. now. And also they had age restrictions on videos where you had to be an adult to watch the video. And they also and have sure a, you can get around. They that. also have a restricted mode for like schools or just any household that wants to limit the content to mm. just non-mature content. Mm. So I, I wonder why they're taking such a huge stance uh, and changing, cracking down uh, with these newer guidelines under the guise of it, you know, protecting children. Um, from I don't, seeing violent things or uh, smoking or alcohol. Well, I actually or think it's more about that. It sort of leans now into the idea of political correctness, and it's not just oh, about too, sure. shielding your little Timmy's eyes, but it's about what some guy with uh, who's in charge of an inst- who's in charge of an interest group is going to rile up the troops and write a hit piece about YouTube and damage their reputation. I think that's a lot of the reason they've been sort of doing the guidelines changes recently. Well, can I can I make an example yeah, with the, um, the kid thing with with the knife game song particularly? Mm. So the these are now against the knife game song videos that I make playing Five Finger Flay and singing a song. They're now against YouTube's uh, terms of service, mm. and I don't know why. I don't know why why can't those exist? Why wouldn't they be able to exist on YouTube with an age restriction? Yeah, well, look, uh, uh, I mean, I suppose they're, they're worried about li- uh, being liable for other people participating in this sort of stuff. If I, right. you know, it's funny, when I was researching the, the video for um, the, the kids self-immolating, um, mm-hmm. they were being sued. They were in, they were in the middle of the lawsuit um, for uh, this, this girl who had played the fire challenge. And um, the grounds of the lawsuit was that YouTube had all these videos up of people um, setting themselves on fire. And there was another one, which is even worse. It was the boiling water challenge. (laughs) By the way, there's no way to do the boiling water challenge without getting horribly burnt. What what does this consist of? It's literally pour some boiling water on a friend. Oh my god! Yeah, oh, on a friend. Okay. Yeah. So, at so least it's it's, not, it's like it's like. Do people yeah. actually know how hot boiling, boiling water, water is? is. Yeah. There's, you you'll immediately get second or third degree burns from from contact with with boiling Skin's water. Skin's gonna start melting off. You're gonna yeah. look like Freddy Krueger. It'll just come off. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, people don't realize anything over about sixty five degrees Celsius is gonna cause second or third degree burns really quickly. But. But, but this all right so this whole thing of like you have to they have to protect the or protect themselves from potential lawsuits of people right. trying to recreate what they see in the videos but there are so many that's an impossible thing if you try to uh regulate that across the board then you have things like videos where people are doing driving stunts where they're stunt drivers or skydiving is dangerous um maybe bungee jumping from a bridge uh people there's so many things that that people can try, that they might try, but to eliminate everything potentially dangerous or harmful from their platform in order to protect themselves or people from attempting it 
Yeah. You're just, that's, that's well, a ton of stuff. I mean, people want to see a fire breather, you know, well, that's cool. Yeah. Someone juggling knives or something like, well, I think, I or, think there's, or, there's a couple of things there. So it's like, uh, the first is, is, you know, by not removing the videos being seen to occur, I don't buy into this argument by the way, but this is what they would say it would be something like mm. by not removing the videos we we might be seen as encouraging and a lot of these stunts have a very low barrier to entry so um, a stunt man working on a stunt car is obviously going to be someone licensed and there's going to be all sorts of insurance involved um and you know someone has to have a driver's license in a car in the first place if it's the fire challenge then uh, or the knife game then all you need is a knife or an accelerant and a, and a match. Um, the other thing is that there's the sort of two sides to the lawsuit. One's the financial side, and the other is the PR side. So what tends to come with a lawsuit is um, a whole lot of bad publicity, and you know, um, a, a, a so lot I mean, they're folding to this bad publicity all the time. Yes, couldn't they just do what most of these these companies should do, and ignore it? Because if they if they cater to it, it usually never brings their their company. Yeah, and all to of a, a sudden, place. it forces them to appeal to more benign and more benign demands. Yeah, I mean, it, it constantly dumbs down the content for sure, but uh, I'm not sure they can just ignore it because um, it doesn't take many from a special interest group to lobby against advertisers and 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 have some sway. Um, right. And from their perspective, it's like, okay, we're spending billions of dollars on a platform that arguably may not even yet be profitable after after a decade. Um, yeah. If right. we if even we, after they have all the corporate brands tied in and everything. Yeah. It's, there's still no actual evidence that YouTube is profitable as a platform. And, and the other side of that is that it's such a precarious position between absolute disaster and absolute fortune because if they play everything right they could they, there's there's so much to gain um right the and, cultural influence the having power over what is basically the next generation of television and yep. having it just centralized under one company that's uh priceless yeah and the, yeah the long-term yeah, worth, financial worth any like potential profit yeah yeah i mean yeah the cult the cultural influence absolutely and also the long-term uh, uh, prospective financial gain, uh, which could be you know I immense, and it could basically solidify them as a monopoly for the next couple of decades. It could, well, they already it, kind of are in that regard, even hmm. though they might not be profitable. In terms of a, a place where just regular internet users can upload content, make revenue. Um, mm. The only other thing like it is Twitch, and that's really only live streaming. So mm. if you want to do anything else, like make any long-form video where you sit down and edit it and record audio and anything more of artistic value than just live streaming, mm. then yeah, I mean, YouTube well, is basically even... your only option if you actually want to have a viable career where you can earn revenue. Yeah, that's right. Right, because even if, even if it's not profitable, uh, it's Google-owned. So Google owns the only thing that mm. that you can do this on and so that is worth a lot as well there's no there's no competition there um and and that's almost like uh, it might be worth it not being profitable or, or to lose money into it because you yeah, own that I, entire side of the market I, I think that's the calculation they're playing yeah and so and so every time there's a threat they actually need to treat it like 
it's a it's a proper threat and you know the other side is i suppose <laughs> just keep in mind a lot of these arguments i'm just making for the sake of defense of youtube i don't necessarily right right, right right but but what one thing i would say is that you know i uh, 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 so i make money from youtube but i consider my relationship with them is that i'm a subcontractor right, right. okay and that's and so, that's something i really agree with because a lot of people uh and there's a video i want to make about this one day an unscripted commentary but i'll, I'll get into some of it now where mm. A lot of people are just incredibly confused on what exactly a YouTuber's role is mm. in content creation, where you got skeptical people saying, oh, YouTube's not a real job. If you're complaining about YouTube, just get a real job. And then there's people on the other end saying, like, YouTube is just like, it, YouTube is like our boss and they have to be accountable for mm. all the wrongdoings. But realistically, the, re the relationship is that YouTube has like no direct employment relationship the with side. YouTubers. YouTubers are basically independent contractors. All of them are just independent contractors and they're choosing to spend time and effort curating content for this platform. And in exchange, they get ads on their videos and therefore revenue. Yeah, but, that's right. And and so so basically any any good treatment they give you, I mean, it's not, it's not a good thing, but you know, any good treatment they might give you is is really just what you would call goodwill on their part. And if they just want to have you off the platform, that's really their prerogative, at least legally speaking. And so anytime, right. anytime someone, you know, sort of kicks up trouble, it sort of feels like YouTube's, this, this would be their argument, okay, not mine. Look, we've got 2000 employees here working at YouTube, we pay them 200 grand plus on average. Um, they are some of the most talented people around the world. They're some of the most vetted people around the world. We really don't want to lose these people. They've got mortgages and families and, and futures and prospects. Um, and we're not going to sacrifice that for one or two edgy content creators. You know, we, we, we've got a lot on the right. line here. Um, an advertiser might be worth, you know, AT&T, for example, who pulled out, they are worth half a billion dollars to us. Um, that's a lot of jobs, and we're not willing mm -hmm. to risk that uh, for the sake of keeping the fire challenge on or what, what have you. I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, I suppose that would be the argument that they would make. But yeah, you know, I mean, and that's not even a bad argument necessarily. It's just it just seems like the implications of it. Um, you know, they're, they're not, doesn't seem like they're fairly regulating videos across the board in the first place and say something like, for instance, the knife game song, why I can't have it on my channel, but it's, you know, heavily, or it's like people were saying it was prominent in, uh, Wayne episode two mm. on their premium platform. So it, so the argument that they're trying to uh, protect someone from it or, or to, um, stop people from recreating it, mm. it they're still showing the stuff it's just only whenever whenever it's on their terms are they allowed um, allowed certain things to be seen or mm. uploaded on their platform I, I think with a lot of this stuff um youtube has been a little too chicken with kind of bending to these corporate forces where if you think long term not even that long term like maybe 10 or 20 years from now Television subscriptions continue to, to decline. Newspaper mm. industry is all but dead at this point in terms of pr actual print. It's all moved online. And a lot of those, even those publications are 
going bankrupt now, where I forget which one got recently sold for $5 million, but it lost like 90% of its value after uh, like three years. And even these online publications are struggling. And recently, actually, YouTube cut a deal in um, July with Legacy Media to curate their stuff on YouTube yeah, and wow. promote it more. Um, but I always think, I, I, I just look at um, how society's changing and I just feel like YouTube has so much leverage that they're not using right now. Like, yeah, maybe this advertiser will pull out, but what are you going to do? Advertise on television, which is losing millions right. of subscribers every single year. Yeah. And you and pull yeah, out that, of YouTube, that's a good which point. is YouTube like, is the power here. Exactly. Mm. Like out of anyone like under age 15, they're not watching TV. They're, they're on YouTube and that's not going to change anytime soon. YouTube's just going to keep growing. And True. even as like some social media platforms like Facebook is declining, YouTube's still growing. There's just uh, it, the idea of watching user-generated content on demand for free is too valuable. Yeah. And everyone is shifting to YouTube. And I feel like they have so much leverage that they're just not they, using. They, they they're do just spending they... to whatever like mini publication writes, threatens to write a hit piece about some YouTuber. They do and they don't. Um, you know, they, they may still not be profitable yet at this point. They may still be operating at a loss. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know without seeing some of the things behind the scenes and, you know, uh, well, okay. I mean, so I th I think, in that aspect, I think these things, if YouTube is losing, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, you know, I think these things are a little more complicated and that also, you know, okay. So I'm in an office at the moment, but if I went next, if I went next door and started asking people about their watching habits on stuff. I mean, we're, we're in a little bit of a bubble where everything is YouTube. Um, and, you know, I've got like a Netflix subscription and I've got a television. I don't really use them. But, um, uh, you know, if I asked everyone else, they would probably mo spend most of their time on, on YouTube just for like bits and pieces. They wouldn't really take it as the main form of their content consumption. And it's probably at, Netflix. At, yeah, at least at least not with the, the sort of maybe maybe twenty five and up sort of sort of group. Um, they're still watching stuff on television, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. The the whole boomer generation, like Rusty, they love their TV. <laughs> I sure know my parents literally only watch TV and never go on YouTube. Mm. But it, just in my age group, and I think starting with kids about three to five years younger than me mm. tv is basically non-existent for them i yeah. think some of them move on to just adopt their parents habits and start watching tv but it, it's really just youtube's influence on younger people cannot be understated and as each year goes on there's going to be less people watching television and more people watching youtube so I guess well, here's what I here's what I was asking point I'm trying is to like th this whole thing of uh, if if YouTube cannot be profitable and perhaps it doesn't have the amount of power that it, it uh, we perceive it to have, can this type of platform even exist? I mean, with uh, with vid.me, you know, they tried to start up a competing site and they just mm -hmm. couldn't afford to do it. YouTube yeah. can afford to do it, but if the having a platform where people can upload whatever videos they want and it's easy for everyone else to watch if that just doesn't work th then like is is that 
whole platform idea is just going to fail in the future or is it going to have to just transition into something entirely different? Well, here's my idea with why YouTube, despite never actually being shown to be monetarily profitable, here's why they're still in business and why I don't think they're going away anytime soon. Mm. Um, While monetarily speaking, they may not be making as much, the value of YouTube that they get from one, cultural influence, and two, um, advanced audience analytics and data mining. I think in terms of Google, that makes it worth any loss that they might run on YouTube. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's right. It's, it's, a, a it's, of... a, yeah, it's a long-term, it's a long-term strategy. Right. But I, you know, I um, think, I think in some ways also, um, it's, it's funny, by being the pioneers, um, yeah, they can also they can also be setting themselves up for more competition because, okay, so so you've got this um, you've got this video platform and you have to um, allow for millions upon millions of people to upload millions upon millions of videos, and the data storage alone is is probably um, just an it's astronomical astronomical yeah. cost. And and it's like that that is also a massive barrier to entry to your competitors because yeah, to any competitor. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you have to and but but at the same time you need to reduce your operating costs. So you need to create a sort of economies of scale and develop new technologies. So Google is there making new forms of um, data storage at, at lower cost. But in doing that, they're also inventing cheaper data storage uh, over, over right. time so all of a sudden you you know you might find that your competitors might also be able to purchase um oh, data like quite cheaply yeah and and you may also find that there's a certain threshold um that that you only have to meet before you can start being a serious competitor so for example on youtube you might find that 98 percent of videos are trash and that it's the 2% of videos that are actually attracting viewers. Well, if then that may mean you only need 2% of YouTube's storage. May, right. That, may, that mm. may translate to something like 5% of the operating cost. Well, okay. Well, you also have a, to think a business could too, come like in a... and, and be a serious competitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the it... idea of a YouTube competitor gets thrown around whenever there's basically a big youtube controversy but my opinion on the issue is that i just don't really see it happening um mm. at least not for the next 10 years or so i think i think because... that's a little uh, that's a little wishful thinking i think in 10 years y- you will not recognize what we're doing uh on youtube through small changes we're gonna be doing something completely different in a different media yeah i think it'll well, be very different in 10 years 10 years ago when you looked at youtube and when you look at it now, it is almost unrecognizable with the amount of changes they'd made. But the reason I think YouTube has just become ingrained in our society and it's going to be very, very hard to chop down that proverbial tree is YouTube behind the scenes for the last 10 years or so. They've been um, making tons of deals with all these big old media companies you had the entire music industry the entire american music industry and vivo basically syndicate their music videos through youtube 
you have all these TV personalities starting to gradually become integrated with YouTube and a lot of TV shows uploading Mm. clips to YouTube. And it's clear kind of from the decision-making of the site over the last three years at least that they are moving towards at, at least a convergence between television and independent creators on the same platform and they're leaning towards much more support for uh television type content yeah so the only real way i see a legit youtube competitor competing with the site um one it would have to be like some billionaire funding it like um elon musk or something because just the operating costs of competing with a site of this scale is ridiculous Mm. And two, it would have to emphasize independent creators over corporations. And if that were to come, and I think there's a fairly decent chance that it might, at least within the I mean, next that'll, 10 years. That'll be difficult because Google owns the, they're the ones that are supplying the ads to YouTube. So, exactly. I mean, they have their, and they, they have gonna... their whole revenue system yeah. figured out. And whatever the competitor will be, will have to have a completely different system that's either as good or better than YouTube's, but yeah, that's true. Getting back to what I was saying, this new competitor, this legitimate competitor, would have to emphasize independent creators, like how YouTube was back in the day, because it's clear YouTube is moving far away from that, and that's going to be the opening for the would-be YouTube competitor. Mm. But it, it just seems like such a daunting task for anything any entrepreneur or venture capitalist that might want to fund a, a project on that scale. And it require it would require kind of the online community to make a choice where do we want a future where kind of the entertainment industry is curated by just regular Joe Schmoes that just come from the normal population? Or do we want it more where eventually everyone gets kind of corporatized and it's all sorts of it all sort of converges into TV light, basically. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of going I'm, in the same the same cycle suppose, as television. I suppose to maybe, maybe to to inject a little bit of um, optimism into it, you know, I'd say that the the main competitor for YouTube is not uh, uh, supposed alternatives to YouTube. It's just the like the rest of the internet. Because what they're really interested in is watch time. And so so the main competitors of YouTube are like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, uh, uh, you know, obviously TikTok, Twitch. Obviously right. Twitch and Netflix. Yeah, TikTok. TikTok, oh, yeah. These things, better watch out. These things that TikTok all... TikTok is coming. <laughs> but you can tell by the way they measure their metrics. It's it's all about watch time. Um, and right. so, so I think they, they are in their best interests to make sure that their content is always fulfilling for the watcher. And if they do start dumbing things down too much, um, you know, the, the, the watch time will be reflected uh, by that. So, you know, there, there are some of the right incentives in place. I'll just say this, because you mentioned venture capitalists, and this is one way I think that YouTube might change in the future. And this is just total speculation. But I would say that you, you're going to start seeing... Um, venture capitalists um, investing in some of these more creative platforms. So you can see them um, saying, all right, um, 
to, to someone who, who's maybe a minor celebrity, um, make a podcast. Here's $2 million. Go for it. Um, okay, Jack Black, um, uh, don't bother about making a movie. Here's a contract for $5 million. Go and make a YouTube channel, and here's a team. Um, and you know, so on and so on. And I think with that, you're also going to get some larger players who are going to come in and demand a fair, um, a fairer dispensing of the rules. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so as as we're moving into maybe a more corporate, um, mainstream entertainment type of system, then the people who ran that one before they can make the changes. Um, well, yeah, well, and, the, and so if sorry, sorry, go on. if they want their person, if they want like their guy who they're they're um, investing in to make YouTube videos, they'll say, "Hey, we need this person to be allowed to do whatever yes. on your website." Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have sort of maybe some of the s- smaller, maybe the medium sized players coming in, protecting their investments, um, and and mm-hmm. starting to invest in in some of these YouTube platforms, and and. Um, I think I think with that, YouTube is also going to see more growth, and then they're also going to see more stability, uh, and and maybe in the long term, then you may also see them less risk averse with advertisers. Maybe, maybe. Hmm. Well, you kind of already start to see a situation where YouTube kind of has a different level, different levels of creators with different treatment on sort of what rules apply to them and what don't mm. where basically the big budget Hollywood mainstream uh, music industry for example they can just get away with so much stuff in music videos mm. and it's never a oh, problem yeah, yeah. at all sure because... and if it's under the guise of of art or whatever I mean with with the triple X Tentacion mm. uh, who you know died he made the the videos big controversy where he's where he was lynching a child um, and the videos, oh, I believe it's still up, but you know uh, what he, they're making a statement. It, it can be argued that that's art. Mm. And yeah, which, I mean, still, I, I a, think that if, it is. If a regular Joe Schmo YouTuber tries that, they'll just get taken down and booted off the platform. But if uh childish Mate. Gambino just shoots a guy in the head, then right. Right. There's Mate. no way that video is getting taken down. Cause it's a big triple a industry artist. Maybe. I think YouTube is such a massive platform, it's very hard to be consistent about these things. And, you know, right. they are susceptible to pressure. But I would I would also say that I'm, I'm very surprised at how much, um, you know, th- things that are very lightly veneered with the guise of art um, are allowed on, on YouTube that, that aren't related to big corporations. So, for example, um, go to YouTube and type in nude yoga. And it's, and yeah. it's like, there's an enormous amount of content there that's just like Jesus. very, very explicit. And they they let it stay up there. They know about it. But I, I just don't understand. I don't understand that because that's where the regulations are. The rules are applied differently from person to person. I mean, I don't, I don't always want to just keep talking about my own shit, but that's just where I see a lot of these inconsistencies or what brought up these questions where I, I make a song um, called The New Song, and it's, it's kind of mm. like this tongue-in-cheek thing about suicide, and that's definitely not allowed after mm. review and, and um, you know, 
trusted flagger was fighting with these people to to get the strike uh, repealed. But then you have like uh, Bo Burnham or something. And I think I brought this up on a past podcast yeah. who has a song like explaining how you can kill yourself and that you definitely should do it. And I think it's called kill yourself and it's 33 million views. Um, and, but of, I would argue that yes, he should be able to have that song up. Yeah. But I don't understand where, how did, why does it apply differently? Well, it's like I said, where Bo Burnham has ascended above the ranks of just regular YouTuber Joe. And now he has industry backing and he's part of these industries. And if he gets his videos taken down, they're not just fucking over Bo Burnham. They're fucking over whatever record company yeah. is producing his music or whatever well, that goes back film to what company you is saying. backing his film. Uh, Internet historian, you were, you were saying like these, these um, investors might be able to have the rules changed. But if, if this is the case that it's already happening, they're only protecting their own assets and not, uh, everyone's yeah it depends i mean you know um uh, if it's a lawsuit it might be more generally applying though um uh right, you know, right. but but i suppose again this 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 might be a, an argument that that youtube would make this isn't necessarily what i believe but you know just to give them a little bit of devil's advocate you would say something like um what we're endeavoring to do is create a platform that's completely open and on a scale that's never been attempted before when people come into hollywood when people come into um, the record industry they are actually very consider comparatively very well vetted and there are processes mm -hmm. in place to to boot certain people out doesn't work all the time that's where you harvey weinstein's and all that sort of stuff but right. with yeah. with YouTube, you could have anyone on there. You can have murderers and rapists making YouTube channels. You can have anyone on YouTube. So we cannot afford to give people the benefit of the doubt off the bat unless they have some sort of corporate reputational backing. That might be an argument that they would make. Okay, so um, I gotta get sponsors, oh, sponsored uh, by Fritos or something. Yeah, well, I, I would actually... I would. I would say a couple of things about that. Yeah, actually, I think that probably would help you if you could if you could get something sponsored. And also, I suspect that that is starting to be integrated into the algorithm as well. I think, um, just judging by the way my videos are monetized, um, I think all of the videos that have had an ad integration in them have all been monetized, and some of them have been edgier videos because I've thought, oh, well, this it's supported by. A sponsor therefore i can be yeah, a little edgy actually... and then they all get monetized and i think it's because the algorithm's picking up that it has a sponsor therefore it is That's more advertiser friendly and therefore it should be monetized as well hmm. I, I i have a video i have one of the uh, the knife game song videos that was a sponsored video i was paid to make it and i was hmm. wondering i was like man does this even go against contract because i'm making the choice to take this video down um you know like uh, but i wonder if i just i don't know make it public again and see if I can sneak it past them. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think we should take a break here. And sure. Then... Yeah. I, we we have you for a while. Um, yeah. Uh, but we we should do a a second part like immediately after this, where we answer some of those Twitter questions. Yeah. Sure. And maybe get into some other discussion. All right. So, I guess for all of our great listeners out there, we will be back next time. Stay tuned. <laughs> 